You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 35 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob sounds like Bad Dad again. He's, uh, he's got laryngitis and he had pneumonia, so he's recovering, so he won't be joining us today, but we'll be making fun of him the whole time. Um, so today we are coming to you again from the lovely Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. And if this is your first time listening, thank you for coming. The Library Pros podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed. Uh, we're on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can actually visit us and write a review. Uh, you can tell us we stink if you like. That's fine. Uh, we're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher uh, and Android and uh, our email subscription service via our website, thelibrarypros.com. We are also uh, on Twitter at, at the Library Pros or on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. So today joining us is Jeremy Johansson, the executive director of the New York Library Association, and Tim Burke, the president of the New York Library Association and the executive director of the Upper Hudson Library System. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for uh, having us, Chris. Thanks yeah, thanks for much, making the trip. Because they came all the way from Albany, right? That's came right. down from Albany. Road trip. Yeah. So we're going to speak with Jeremy and Tim um, about uh, the libraries that uh, serve, that are being served by, um, by NYLA in New York State. And, um, and we also know that uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the state versus the city uh, versus Long Island and some of the differences that are there and w- all the challenges that are involved with dealing with a, a state that's kind of misunderstood outside of New York State with regard to, you know, what's around, what, what resources are available. Or, you know, everybody thinks New York, it's New York City when actually there's a lot more to it. So there's a lot of challenges that we're going to talk, into, uh, talk about, but before we go into that, let's learn more about uh, NILA, which is the New York Library Association, and our guests. So I'm turning the script page that I say I never use. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeremy and Tim, tell us about NILA. When was it created, and you know, what was its purpose, and, and who does it serve? Tell us, give us the background on it. Absolutely. The New York Library Association was founded in 1890 by Melville Dewey. Yep, that guy. That guy. That guy. And uh, he's a, a serial founder, um, starting the uh, American Library Association, Library Journal, and decided he needed a, a clubhouse closer to home. So uh, did this, the the founding thing in New York State, uh, ran a lot of his programming in Lake Placid, uh, where he had a, a home. And... Uh, Put forward the organization to advance the same uh, mission and goals as the American Library Association on a state level, and we have been kicking ever since. The mission of the New York Library Association is to uh, lead, educate, and advocate on behalf of the New York Library community. And I think it's important to focus on that last part of the mission, uh, the library community. The library community in New York State is diverse, as you said, Chris, and it spans all different kinds of libraries, all different sizes of libraries, all different types of libraries. There are some common elements between all of those libraries, and that's really what NYLA needs to focus on, is picking out those common elements and essentially being a membership service organization for all of those libraries. It's a challenge, but it's a, it's a, a challenge that NILA meets every day. And, and it must be kind of hard because you want to meet, you want to give everyone the same level um, of service and support. 
when, and we'll talk about a little bit later about the disparages, disparity, dis, I can't even talk today. The, um, <laughs> discrepancies. Right, the discrepancies and, and so, of size and budget and, 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 you know, just the way libraries are organized through the state. And, and that's really just taking a look at the, the public library side of things. We also uh, serve as a, a home for the school librarians uh, and the academic, uh, special, uh, corporate librarians. We have a role for the, the friends groups to play um, and have a thousand trustee members. So there's, we're, we refer to it as the biggest of tents and try to be all <laughs> things to all people in the library community. That's right. Well, it really is amazing kind of the, the work that you, that you do because it, it, New York is a big place. It's not Texas, but it's not Rhode Island. And I just, I just alienated Texas and Rhode Island in the same sentence. It's okay. I only have one listener in Rhode Island, so it's okay. So with New York being such a large state, you know, it's, it must be hard to meet the needs of the libraries you know, in the state. But what programs do you offer or sponsor that, that facilitate helping the libraries? Sure. Well, I think the thing that is the flagship for deliverable that, that most folks are familiar with is the NILA Annual Conference. Um, we just ended that about a month ago in Saratoga Springs, and we'll be in Rochester this coming year in 2018, in the beginning of uh, November. And that is the the primary vehicle for us to bring together the community and, and uh, provide professional development. But we also try to meet those professional development needs throughout the year. We, uh, we offer webinars. And we do uh, a handful of in-person professional development programs um, around the state. Um, so that's that's the the PD leg. And then uh, you know, it, as a membership organization, I think one of the the big values is the less quantifiable networking aspect of the organization where it's just the opportunity for people to reach out uh, to their peers that are doing like type jobs to ask questions about how people are tackling different challenges um, and to share both their their successes and, and maybe their their less than successes um, and then the the third leg of our uh, our deliverables is the advocacy piece, and this is the thing that Nyla certainly um, hangs our hat on the most, and that's representing all libraries of all types in the state capitol as the budget process comes together, as well as um, when regulations and laws are contemplated that have impacts on the library community. And, and that, I'm sorry, go ahead. And I think it's important, uh, again, to, to um, comment that Nyla has a small organization, seven staff members. Um, the creation of the programming that Jeremy talked about, the webinars, the, the professional development, all of that is essentially crowdsourced from the New York library community. The, it's a membership-driven organization. They're the, the content providers for the conference, for all of the other professional development. So the, the community determines what it needs and feeds it back to the community through the conference. And that's what's great about the conference, too, because it, it's nice to see how maybe somebody in Elmira is doing something versus somebody in Albany or maybe up all the way up in Champlain or, or down here on the island. It, it, it's interesting how we all have the same goal in mind, but we just approach it from different angles. And it definitely serves to reinforce that, the fact that we all have many, many things in common, many more things then we have different. Absolutely. And and what I like about it is the ability to connect with people from other parts of the state, to collaborate with other people in other parts of the state, and to learn from each other, because we can all learn from each other. Yeah. 
There's, there's no one person that's the be-all, end-all, um, you know, soothsayer or, you know, grand sage that knows everything there is to know about the library land. Right. Well, except maybe Jerry Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you got me on that one. That's right. So, Tim, tell me about your position with Nyla and how long your term is. So the position, uh, the president position, is um, actually one year as president, but the three-year elected position. You start as president-elect for a year. You serve your year as president, and then you're a um, past president for a year. So, so you, you get to a, slide that third year. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, that's the senior slide. Yeah. Um, so it's a three-year opportunity, and you serve uh, on council, NILA council, which in, is in effect the NILA board. Um, and the year of president um, is you, you actually are the chair of the council, and um, you're, uh, you know, in, in essence, the, the face and the voice of the, of the organization, uh, speaking from the library community itself to whoever we're talking to, whether it's our library community, whether it's other uh, library communities around the country, whether it's legislators, whether it's the public, that's the, the role of the president for that, um, for their term. So what are your goals for the year? Not to put you on the spot or anything, yeah. but... Well, we have, we're in a really good place in a lot of different ways. Our membership numbers are higher than they've ever been in the history of the organization. Uh, we have the, the council I get to work with is full of uh, wonderful, dedicated professionals um, that are representing each one of their different constituencies really well. Um, we have a great staff. Jeremy is a, is a great uh, leader uh, for, for NILA. Um, but we do have some challenges. We're uh, always uh, working on the next advocacy pitch. Um, most of our libraries have some um, need for state funding. Absolutely. Um, and one of the big roles that Nyla plays is, as Jeremy said, the advocacy piece. Um, so we have some of those challenges. Um, and I, my goal this year is to try and get more members under that tent that Jeremy mentioned. Uh, we have a, a very strong participation from the public library community, less strong from the school library community and less strong from the academic and special library community. And I think there are opportunities for us to do some outreach from the organizational level to bring those libraries, show them the value of NILA, communicate that, and give them an opportunity to experience NILA. And I think once we do that, we'll keep them. Uh, but getting them in is a, a challenge. And I talked about the organizational push, but I also want to see us do a grassroots push. I want every NILA member who knows the value already to talk to their professional colleagues in different types of libraries and say, you should give NILA a try. Mm -hmm. And I think that grassroots effort will absolutely bear some some fruit for us to get more of the library community under that same tent. Well, it makes sense, too, because, I mean, most most organizations start grassroots, so it, it makes a lot of sense to use the word of mouth right. to, to get the word out there, too. It's also yep. one of the cheapest forms of advertising, absolutely. too, right? Absolutely, yep. Yeah. So 
on top of being the president of NILA, you're also uh, the executive director of the Upper Hudson Library System. Tell us about that. Well, Upper Hudson is one of the 23 public library systems in New York State. Um, the entire state is covered by um, those 23 public library systems. We serve the two counties of Albany and Rensselaer County, so right around the state capital. Um, we have 29 independent autonomous public libraries, um, which they remind me of almost every day. Um, <laughs> so Upper Hudson doesn't have authority over those libraries. But what we do is we provide services to connect the libraries together, to strengthen their services, provide best practice training, all of those things. I, I remind our uh, Upper Hudson staff all the time is that our only job is to make library service better in Albany and Rensselaer counties in those 29 libraries. That's that's our job. Is it a consortium? It's it's a consortium, but that's a small c descriptor. Okay. Right. Um, we're actually, uh, the official designation is a cooperative library system. Okay. So 29 libraries, separate and autonomous, cooperating together to provide the best service within the two counties. That's pretty neat. I'm just thinking in terms of comparing it to the Suffolk Cooperative Library System, too, which, again, it's, you know, the same kind of thing. Happening. They're all fruit, but very much apples and yes, apples. bananas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not going to say which one's the bananas, right? <laughs> okay, so, Jeremy, tell me about um, your position, uh, how long you've been with Nyla, and all the fun stuff you get to do. Sure. So I, this is one of those things where it's like, well, there's there's not a, an easy, straight-up answer because uh, I was with Nyla for some of the folks that remember way back. I uh, started in 2005 and was with Nyla for three years in the position of deputy director and got to know an awful lot of folks in the library community because my uh, primary responsibility was uh, running the Nyla conference and taking care of advocacy day. And I, uh, in 2008, took what I refer to as my sabbatical and uh, <laughs> uh, parted ways with, with uh, Nyla and served, cut my teeth as executive director with the New York State Alliance for Arts Education. And in 2012, the opportunity came for me to return to NYLA um, and came back as uh, executive director there. And so it's uh, been a little over five years now uh, in that chair. And we made some structural changes with the organization where, uh, it's, as Tim mentions, a very small staff. So it certainly didn't make sense for me to hire a, a deputy director or, you know, in library terms, an assistant director that had all the same skill sets that, that I do. So right around that time frame, uh, Nyla made the change to uh, create a new position of Director of Government Relations and Advocacy and uh, brought Mike Neppel into the picture. And that's certainly been a, a game changer for the organization. And then the, the rest of the staff is uh, rounded out with our Director of Membership Services, our Director of Finance, our Communications and Marketing Manager, um, and we have a, a Membership Services Associate, our, uh, our uh, gal of all trades. Um, so, like I said, it's a very small group um, that manages to do things, and I'm, I'm always pleased when uh, we, we let fo folks let us know uh, how surprised they are that we're managing to uh, give the appearance of a much larger organization. Hardest working team in library land. <laughs> I was just going to sure. say, I had no idea for the staff sure. was that small. Yeah. I mean, you think, not, you know, Nyla, it's New York, and you're covering a huge space, and you're doing it with seven people? Yeah, I've had folks ask, like, oh, so the, the pictures of those people that appear on the website, those are, those are the department heads, right? Each one of those has a staff. <laughs> 
Like, yeah, um, <laughs> well, not, not quite. Wow, that is <laughs> kind of crazy. But you, you're pulling it off, it's, so it, it's it works. It's all, all smoke and mirrors. It's all <laughs> exactly. Hard work and dedication. Pay no absolutely. attention to the man behind the green <laughs> curtain. <laughs> not at all. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much about what Nyla is about. And, you know, Nyla is such a great resource for libraries all over the state, regardless of the size, population, or need. And thank you both for working so hard for New York State Libraries, because I know advocacy is a huge part of it, and we're going to talk about that in the next segment. Uh, when we come back, we're going to speak with Tim and Jeremy about the kinds of libraries that, and the kinds of libraries in New York State and how they serve the people. So we'll be back in just a minute. So now we We are back with Tim Burke and Jeremy Johansson from NYLA. So when people think of libraries and the name New York comes up, there's this knee-jerk reaction to think it's New York Public in the city or Brooklyn Public. Uh, but New York State is such a large and diverse place, like we said earlier, and not every library serves the same type of patron. So tell us about the regions, how the regions are organized, and what the library system is, you know, the concept of a library system. Like we were saying before, different fruit. Everyone does things a little bit differently. Like I know North Country serves a huge area, um, you know, and Pioneer serves not such a big area, but populations are different. Mm -hmm. So if you could just talk about that for a minute. Yeah, and, and to make it a little more complicated, there's three different types of library systems. So um, Get your scorecards out, kids. Get into the weeds a, a little <laughs> bit. Um, so New York State um, has created an information infrastructure over the last 60 years. Um, originally, all of the systems were essentially created by the state legislature. Um, and all of the systems are really designed to do three primary things. And that was true 60 years ago. It's absolutely true in the 21st century. The three things are to encourage the sharing of resources within a region between libraries. So patrons have full access to all the material that's available within that system. Second is to concentrate expertise at the system that can be shared with all the libraries regardless of their size and budget. Perfect example, again, in the 21st century is the IT expertise. You can have one IT networking hardware guy at the library system that can be shared with all of the libraries. And then the third is to get uh, economies of scale from shared services. Most of the public library systems and, and many of the uh, um, other types of systems have one integrated library system, library catalog, that sh shows their shared collection and, and moves their shared collection around within one system. If each library in, say, the Upper Hudson Library System had their own catalog, 
they wouldn't talk to one another, and it wouldn't be as easy to move material back and forth for people. Um, and again, those are the three primary focuses. And they were true 60 years ago in the physical book age. They're certainly true nowadays in the, um, the electronic uh, digital materials age. Um, the other two types of systems, there's public library systems, I mentioned 23 that cover the state. There's school library systems, there's, and that covers secondary education, elementary, middle, and, and high school libraries. Most of those library systems are coordinated through their BOCES, Board of Cooperative Education Services, um, and they do those same three purposes for schools and school librarians. And then the third type is um, a, it's called the three R's, and the R's stand for reference, research, and resources. And essentially those are uh, systems that support academic college, university, community college, and special library communities. Um, so if you are keeping track that comes up to 73 library systems in New York State. The other common element, um, 3Rs and um, public library systems are largely funded by New York State. Important distinction, individual libraries, particularly public libraries in New York State, are funded locally for the most part. The system infrastructure is created and funded by New York State. And I'll jump in there and, and just throw some more numbers around. So uh, on the public side, there's 756 public libraries around the state. And of those, one of my, my favorite stats to throw around is that more than half of those 756 entities have annual operating budgets below $150,000 a year. And that is really incredible. <laughs> it's, it is. It's an, it is absolutely <clears throat> incredible. And that's when I say that, that's not any one segment of the budget. That's soup to nuts. That is uh, staffing and paying the heat bill and doing any maintenance repairs and collection development. So it really does put things on, on a scale that, that for every New York public that people think of and the lions pop into your head, there's 15 teeny tiny libraries that are staffed with two or three people um, that are being able to serve the needs of their community because of the system services that there are made available to them through the state funding. And it makes sense too I mean because those library systems as much as they're to help everybody sometimes it, it's good to help the ones that have those lower operating budgets with through consolidated ordering and those kinds of things so it makes things available to them that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to get on their own. Right. And, and again, the, the concept of the rising tide lifts all boats is the, the core concept of library system, particularly in a public library, because that new book that's added at one library is essentially added to the collection that everybody has access to. Exactly. Through interlibrary loan and, and yep. just sharing things through the mm -hmm. even the little C consortium kind of model. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, Tim, with Upper Hudson, um, are there any specific services that you're especially proud of that you'd want to maybe tell us about? Sure. We have, uh, again, a, a, a small staff. We have 10 people um, who provide services to 29 uh, libraries across a two-county region, 457,000 residents in, in the two counties. Um, we have uh, 
pretty dramatic diversity of libraries. Uh, Albany Public Library is a, a very large urban library with seven branches, um, a pretty sophisticated organizational structure. We have Bethlehem, Gilderland, East Greenbush Colony that are what we would consider of large, well-supported suburban libraries. And then we have some of those libraries that Jeremy was talking about, um, very small libraries, very small budgets, part-time staff, part-time directors um, that make a difference in their communities. And we tailor our services at the Upper Hudson Library System to try to bring each one of those libraries the things they need. Certainly sharing the collection and, and making that work is an important part of what we do. Uh, we also provide best practice training to trustees and staff across the, the, the library. The other thing we see as our role is to make sure we're facilitating sharing the expertise within the system. We're not necessarily the library experts on everything, but we have some great library experts at our member libraries, particularly those larger libraries. So taking that talent and sharing it with all the libraries in the system is another role that we provide. Do you have um, meeting room space and things of that nature so you can you know, have people come to a centrally located place? We do. We have a couple of meeting room um, that, that we use and our member libraries use as, as uh, places to come together and collaborate. But we're also seeing, even in this you know, relatively modest uh, two-county region, the farthest library away from the system headquarters is, is just under an hour. Um, many of our library systems across the state have much, much greater distances to sure. cover. But one of the things we're, we've just put into place is remote meeting software and um, an improvement in our meeting room suite to allow for remote meeting participation. And we think that's something all library systems are going to be looking at just to um, manage, better manage the time spent participating in those meetings. We don't want to disenfranchise someone because they live in Petersburg or Grafton and they're farther away from Albany and can't be there. Well, that makes sense, too, because if you're a part-time library and you only have part-time, you can only be there part-time and whatever the meeting is, it's during the time the building is open and you're the one that turns the key, it makes sense to, to do like a distance learning kind of in, climate and environment. Absolutely. So we're looking forward to that, um, you know, being an important part of our service delivery model. That makes. Sense. Have you thought about streaming the um, the classes to archive them for mm -hmm. for watching later? Yep, that's all. That's something that we've been doing down here with some of our meetings and things. Right, and and we we also know that it's it's not new technology, right. um, and there's a lot of expertise around the state that we're certainly going to draw on to to improve that. Sure, absolutely. <clears throat> so, for the listeners who aren't particularly familiar with the complete makeup of the public libraries in New York State. Um, can you tell us about the types of libraries there are, um, and by that I mean the association libraries, school district libraries, free libraries, city library, municipal library, etc. Because it gets confusing, and it has to do with the way they're created under the education law, or town law, or municipal law, and then it affects how they collect their um, revenue from taxpayers and things like that. Let's not go crazy, though. Because, I mean, we don't want to bore everybody, put everybody to sleep, right? We could totally go crazy. Oh, this is... So. <laughs> 
But, you know, it, it is kind of confusing for some people, especially when you go to an island and say, well, we're not, in a, we're in a, we're in a, we just became an association library. Okay. So what, do you, what were you before that? Because right. here on the island, you're usually an association library, a school district library, or a free library. Right. So to maybe simplify it a little bit, all public libraries in New York State are chartered by the Board of Regents, State Education Department, as educational corporations. So they have that in common. There's currently four different organizational models for public libraries in New York State. First and oldest is the association library. Um, association libraries um, have a board of trustees that typically is appointed um, either by the board itself or by the community that serves, that that library serves. Their funding comes from the community that the library serves, typically through the municipality. The second type is a municipal library, which functions, even though it's an independent and separate entity chartered by the Board of Regents, functions as a quasi-department of the municipality, whether that's a town, a village, a city. The trustees, the board, is appointed by the municipality, um, and the funding typically comes largely from the municipality through tax revenue. Next type is the school district public library. School district public library is a public library that serves the same service area as the local school district, common borders. The library is not a tax collecting agency, has no tax collecting authority, can work with the school district to collect the taxes. The trustees are elected by the residents of the school district. So it's more direct control the community has for the, over the library's leadership. And the budget, the funding for the library, the tax levy that supports library operations is voted on by the residents of the school district. And then the third type, fourth type, excuse me, is the special district public library. Functions very much like a school district public library with the exception that the service area is actually created to, to, to create a district that the library serves, that's based on some kind of municipal borders, um, sometimes water districts, sewer districts, fire districts, all sorts of things, but it creates an area that the library service is provided to. The residents within that district vote for trustees and vote for the um, support for the library, a tax levy. The difference between the creation of a school district library, which is a local uh, process, and a special dis district library is that, that the creation of that district, legislative district, needs to go through uh, New York State Legislature. Uh, so there's a much more complicated process to create a new district. Those are the four types. The words 
free library are used a lot, mostly through um, traditional names of libraries. Sure. Um, in some ways, it's it's very kind of quaint and traditional. Um, in some ways, it bothers me a little because I think it sets up a false premise that libraries are free, mm. and and I think that's something we need to to work on. We want people to know that libraries are free to come in and use, but they aren't free to provide to a community. And I'll uh, I'll throw in on that a little bit in that the association <coughs> libraries um, association libraries make up uh, over half of the libraries in New York State. So of that 756 entities, there's there's a lot of them. And uh, fun fact, uh, New York Public that you think of as a granddaddy is a, an association library by definition. That's interesting. Because so, yeah. they, they function off an endowment, right? They do have a, a little bit of money squirreled away. Um, and the vast majority of the budget for the, the big three, as we refer to them up in Albany, uh, comes from the New York City budget. Um, so about um, roughly 80% of their operating budget, uh, actually a little bit more than that, but um, for the trilight is, is out of the city council. Um, so they have a, their own set of um, advocacy priorities, um, working the way through the New York City budget process. That must be fun. <laughs> well, you know, it, everything has its uh, its ups and downs. I uh, spoken with uh, one of the the government relation reps out of the the big three, and on the upside, you know, you, you don't have to convince the entire voting public to say yes or no to the library budget. You've just got a small number of city council members that you need to you have to, to schmooze a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting we're talking about geography because um, I did want to talk about geography for a moment because there are so many regions in New York, and it's more than just upstate and downstate, even though people from down here think anything north of the Bronx is upstate. Um, not me not being one of them, by the way. Um, I kind of get it with, with, you know, the different regions, and I like going up there. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful state. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so um, there are so many regions with different needs um, and library systems that have those needs as well. And even within library systems, there are uh, differences in needs. And one thing I'd like to focus on is funding. Um, this seems to be a disparity, of, a dis a disparity in, um, through the state, and usually with rural libraries not getting the same amount of funding as the <coughs> urban and suburban libraries. And even here on Long Island, where most libraries uh, receive funds from property taxes, there is a difference in budgets from the East End libraries which have more rural communities. There's still some agrarian um, communities out there, even though they're shrinking. Um, and they just don't get the same revenue that you know, a library with more population gets. Um, you know, and there's also a difference between Nassau and Suffolk County. There's a big difference there, too. Um, so can you speak about the challenges that rural libraries face because those libraries, you know, they don't get the tax revenue, and, and in some cases... They don't receive almost any tax revenue from property taxes. And how do they do the amazing, magical things they do? Well, I think you're, abs you're absolutely right. The, there is a huge discrepancy between uh, the best-funded library and the least-funded library. And it's not just a, a clean geographic discrepancy because they, we've uh, had a conversation with the director of the Southern Tier Library System and they have libraries within their own their own service area where the the per capita spending is off on a factor of tenfold 
between the libraries just within one service area. Mm -hmm. So there's there's definitely um, some separations there. And part of uh, the challenge you're alluding to is that it, it is about um, a numbers game, right? It's about population. And there are places where the community is essentially tapped as far as it can be uh, for what the community can support. Um, and there's there's just not more to, to bring forward um, into the coffers. And I think that loops back to uh, comments we were making before that it really is the state dollars, and right now uh, the state funding into the public library uh, funding formula is about $95 million, and a bulk of that fund goes to uh, support the operation of the public library systems, and it's the operation of the public library systems that allow uh, the smaller rural libraries to function and to deliver services. Um, as, as you alluded to, of course, it's their amazing staff and the, the dedicated people that, that make that happen. Um, but the nuts and bolts, um, as, as Tim has alluded to earlier, really is, is funded um, and, and supported by the system infrastructure. And the systems do provide a level of equity um, to try and balance out some of those inequities in funding. But I mentioned before the, that state infrastructure that we talked about with the three different types of library systems, all of that is state-funded. Individual communities, individual municipalities, individual areas support library service in their area. And frankly, there's a, a pretty dramatic difference in the way each community values its library, understands how to value its library, and uh, understands what it needs to, to provide library service for a community. Uh, Jeremy mentioned before, um, you know, a, a city council of five or seven or nine people, you would think it would be easier to convince those few people that library, this library is important to this community much easier than it would be to convince 4,000 people who live in that area that libraries are important. That's not the case. Statistically, it's proven if you go out to a resident vote for library service and support, statistically, libraries do better than going to, again, the four or five member city council, town council, who have to divide up the municipal pie in a number of different ways. And that makes sense, too, because, you know, if, you, if you're lobbying five people or six people or eight people, they also know what else they have to divide all the pieces of the pie up as opposed to people who love their library and want to go and vote for the library because they love their library. Um, it, it may be an emotional decision on the part of the voter, but they're the ones that are actually the ones with their boots on the ground that, that really gauge um, usage and and their actual love for the facility. Yep. And First, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy to good libraries, strong libraries that provide good service, regardless of their size, <clears throat> will do better because the community recognizes, I can't live without my library. Um, it's important for me to support. And if you can get to that proposition before a resident walks into the ballot box, you're going to do pretty well. Uh, but that's a 365-day advocacy job to make sure that the community understands why the library is important, what it does, what else it can do for the community, but that it needs support 
to to continue to provide those services. And sometimes that's a a, a drum we have to beat over and over again with the with people every year. Um, but it really is important if we can deliver that message it's much more successful speaking directly to the community yeah, it does make a lot of sense so um in keeping with the theme for 2018 with nyla it's it's about collaboration right the theme is making a difference making a difference together um and again it's based on the fact that libraries across the state, across the country, over the world, make a difference every single day. We change people's lives every single day with information. And we can do a better job of that if we work together. And it makes a lot of sense. Just from going up to Nyla and, and speaking to people from Rensselaer and Rochester and Elmira, Buffalo, you know, all the way up in Plattsburgh and, and the Adirondacks and even New York Public and Brooklyn and, you know, there's different flavors. It's all ice cream, but just different flavors of ice cream. Amen. And it is, I'm always, for myself personally, I'm always amazed at the Cantons and the Potsdams and, and the places like that, the, the, the Scroon Lakes, the ones that have such small budgets and they do such, I'm going to use the word magical, magical things. Mm-hmm. One of, when, when I interviewed uh, the Canton people, uh, Krista Briggs is their young adult coordinator, and she says that librarians are wizards. And she's right, because they do some magical things up there. And to see what they do with what they have to work with, um, it, it goes without saying. It's, it's, it's amazing what they can do. And I'm actually um, enamored with that, because it's a lot easier to work in a place that has a budget that allows you to do a whole bunch of different things versus being so creative that you're making, making a dollar out of 99 cents, basically. <laughs> so you know, I always have to give them credit and one of the things we like to do in this podcast is give credit to the upstate libraries because they don't get enough credit and they and they work their tails off for it so Absolutely. every time i'm on this podcast i'm mentioning somewhere upstate just to say well you know what they're doing they're doing a great thing up there yep. um and they quite frankly they deserve it yep. making a difference change people's lives every single day exactly so um <clears throat> we we were saying in keeping in you know keeping the theme with uh with nylon in 2018 uh We'd like to see libraries that are better funded share their resources with the rural and underfunded libraries in the rest of the state. You know, whether it's the Hudson Valley, Finger Lake, Central New York, Southern Tier, Mohawk, Capital, you know, no matter where you are, and I'm probably going to leave out a whole bunch of different places, um, you know, my eyes were opened when I visited Canton and in North Country. And again, at the NILA conference, like I was saying before, speaking to those um, rural library people and going to the rural library programs, um, <clears throat> it is eye-opening. Um, so one thing that I had initially tried to do after my first visit to Canton was to try to find a way to get resources to them to help them out. Uh, and when I went to the, the Rural Library Program at Nyla, and again, it was my friend Emily from Canton, um, one of uh, my cohorts from West Hampton, Dave Jones, who is from upstate, could not believe what he was hearing. So we were kind of brainstorming and trying to figure out if there was something we can do to help. Um, so I was speaking with Matt Corey from up in North Country, and he said, well, it'd be kind of good if we can get materials that are like five years old or less and in pretty good shape. Uh, they said they were in pretty good shape with technology at this point, but they were looking for just materials, whether it was DVDs or books or anything like that. And um, 
you know, a lot of the libraries down in downstate New York, Long Island, uh, we buy extra copies. And then when the demand for that particular title goes down, we have to, and I hate this word, but we have to use, I'm going to have to use it because it's the term, we have to discard them. And we send them to Better World Books or, you know, um, retirement communities and things like that. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could send our materials there? Because they just don't have the resources to get as many copies or maybe not even get copies or even get DVDs in some cases um, and get them up there so then they could actually make them available for their community. Um, and that's something that I'd really like to um, put together. And I was um, wondering if Nyla was, it was something Nyla could assist with or if there is a program in place. There's nothing that I'm familiar with right now outside of, uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the, the Nylon listserv and you see the occasional post up. Uh, I think the most recent one was for uh, a bunch of microfilm from the 70s. So it's, it's most <laughs> often things like that. Um, not that that's not something everyone really needs in their collection, but um, I think that there's is a, a perfect thing that would that fits in with uh, Nyla's goal. I mean, we, we serve as a convener and look to, to bring together um, our members in sharing not just ideas but resources and I think there's a, an absolute um, opportunity for the Library Association to um, connect uh, folks from around the state and uh, yes if if um, both your library and, and other folks that you're familiar with I, I think that the uh, sense of uh, wanting to help and, and sharing is maybe just incumbent upon the library profession and uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's other libraries that are similarly situated that might be interested in, in these types of opportunities opportunities and I would, I would very much love to to help facilitate that that degree of sharing because yeah. I've, I've spoken with um, through the through the, the associations that I belong to we, we do the, uh, the TIF meeting this technology information forum and we bring these topics up and this is a good topic to bring up too because uh, at first we were going to try to do coordinated um, discarded computers to get computers up there but they seem to be at least North Country seems to be good with their machines right now um, but I've had some libraries in Nassau County um, ask if we were looking for materials to send up there, uh, and some libraries here in Suffolk County, too. So I would like to help, if I could, try to get something set up that we could actually maybe set up like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a, not a consortium, because that's kind of like beat to death, but like a collective. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry, I, I think it's a it's a, a good idea, and I think it's something we should pursue, but I think it has to be pursued very sensitively. Um, we don't want to create a uh, have and have not situation. Um, you know, a, part of me wants to um, suggest that when the demand for multiple copies of Sleeping Beauty, the Stephen King book that's out now, wanes at Sachem, it's probably waned in Plattsburgh at the same time. That's true. But at the same time, um, I think there's a way we can, uh, again, sensitively create a network, a sharing network, to move this stuff around. The, the whole principle of libraries is based on sharing. Sharing, sharing materials, sharing resources. That's sure. what we do. We do it well. We do it naturally. So I think this is something that we should pursue. Um, but again, it's 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 the the sensitivity about 
the you know potential have and have nots. And then the other thing that I expect will come up in the conversation as we talk about this and investigate it a little more is the the sensitive sensitivity not to um, not to enable communities not to support their library. We always want to encourage individual communities to understand how much it costs to support real library service for their community and build to that um, if they're not there yet. And um, helping and moving material around and, and um, sharing material, I think, absolutely can, again, continue to rise all boats. Um, but we have to be, again, sensitive about how we approach that. Sure. And it shouldn't be, well, we got... 30,000 books we're going to send up to a warehouse somewhere and it's going to sit there until somebody picks through it. It's got to be on a need base. It, right. it can't be, well, we're just going to send all our stuff up to these people and let them sort it out. No, that's not how it works. Right. It can't be looked at as a, um, a, no, a rummage it, sale. Like we, we were talking about before we were recording like, like a Craigslist kind of thing. <laughs> but we could, it could be as simple as a WordPress site, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Where we say, Sachin Public Library has these particular titles. Who's interested? Yeah. And if nobody's interested... Then we send them to Better World Books. Right. We, we set the timer. Okay, it's been three months. Okay, they go to Better World Books. Right. We have we just discarded a whole bunch of HP small unit uh, desktop computers. Is anybody interested? You have mm-hmm. to install your own operating system. Yep. Okay, we want them over here in Mohawk. Okay, great. Send us a shipping label. We'll send them to you. Right. It's something like that. It's mm-hmm. not have and have not. It's not, you know, it's not the the, the libraries that have large collections dumping their junk. This is about helping each other. Right. It has to be dealt with in the same right. way, in the same manner you would help a patron. Right. So approaching it with that level of thought and sensitivity, I think, is has some potential going forward. No, it just needs infrastructure. Right. Yeah. It's a minor in thing like infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. No, no problem there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Get on that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's food for thought, and that's something we can actually uh, talk about going into the future. Absolutely. Yep. And then I'll give an update and in future podcast episodes. That'd be fun to do. I think it'd be a fun little collaborative project. Yeah. Because, like you said before, librarians help people. Mm -hmm. And why can't we help colleagues? What we do, right? Yeah, that's what we do. So, now that we've taken our soapbox. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So, you both have met librarians from all over the state. And, Jeremy, you did your your microbus tour. You do it every year. How do you get that thing on a parkway? I have no idea. Oh, we don't. Ever no, oh my the top God. speed with a with a tailwind is fifty seven miles an hour. Jeez. So it's it's. Tell almost, me you're not on a Taconic Parkway. No, good, well, uh, no, not for long. <laughs> <laughs> Take Route Nine all the way down or something. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of back roads. Yeah. So yeah. yeah Fifteen hundred cc engine in that uh-huh, thing. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, you've been from Montauk to Jamestown, Coney Island to Champlain, Albany to Buffalo. What's it? You know, what can you tell Library Land about librarians in New York State? Yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, I haven't done the mileage total, but I can tell you that our uh, three-summer grand total, we now broke the 150 mark. So we've been to 152 libraries around the state. Out of the 700. Out of the 756. You know, and then you start breaking it into branches. It gets real ugly. So uh, <laughs> what people are asking, asking now is, are you going to the mall? And I'm like, I, I don't think so. 
Uh, but what I can tell you is that, um, you know, Jack has been through three of these tours. My son, he's uh, 13 now, and he's a consummate uh, politician when he gets asked, you know, oh, what's your favorite library? Because we get that asked that a lot. And he's always, always says, oh, well, you know, this one is really amazing. <laughs> um, and, you know, but there's only, he's, uh, he's also known to say that every library has its own special, unique magic. You know, I'm like, man, kid, he's... he's uh, I he's, see Albany in his future. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, joking aside, uh, there really is something special about every library. And I think that's something special, and I'm, I'm sure Tim's going to double down, is that it's about the staff. Um, and as you said, what's special about the librarians, by nature, the folks that, that choose to participate and, and make libraries their career are, by nature, do-gooders. You know, I think I can use that term broadly. You know, it's folks that have uh, an inherent need to be helpful to individuals and to their communities. And it comes back to just the core values of librarianship and about sharing of resources. And, you know, that's just, that's what we need in the world right now, right? We need people that are that are willing to help out, to share, and to provide people with avenues to get information, uh, to to find accurate, fair, and balanced information. Mm-hmm. Um, no strings help. attached. Yeah, I, exactly. No exactly. no agenda attached to it. And, you know, just, just the, those are the people that are making their way into this field and into this uh, career path. And um, I feel fortunate uh, every day to, to be able to help further the work of those individuals and the institutions they serve just a little bit by helping them connect with other people that are doing that same work. Amen. <laughs> I mean, they are... Um, Tim, you look like a bobblehead doll. Well, I... Yeah. <laughs> They are passionate, they're dedicated. Um, These people got into this profession because they wanted to make a difference. Uh, It's not for the money, Um, it's because you wanna make a difference. And public libraries, all libraries, make a difference every day. In this information-heavy society we live in, increasingly, people are more and more reliant on information to do their jobs, to raise their family, to put three squares on the table and a roof over their heads. We control that information. We are the the gatekeepers um, to that information to get people to the information they need as efficiently as possible, as quickly as possible, and with a smile on our face. Um, And the goal of every librarian I know is to have the patron leave the library with that same smile on their face because they got what they needed. We changed their life in a little bit or a big way that day. And that's absolutely true of people that work in libraries all over the state. I would agree with that. And I would actually say, I would go further and say all over the world. Absolutely. Um, I actually had some some great librarians that run uh, in Australia, and they're preaching exactly the same thing. So I think it's it's a universal. It's universal. It is a universal sure. thing. Yep. So going from universi- universality to uh, advocacy. Um, it's the last question and on my list of questions, but it's a big one. You know, when we have to go up to Albany every year and lobby for the money, the governor tried to cut funds in in the budget, the fiscal budget for this year. Um, and what's amazing is we were able to retain, and I think we got a little bit more. 
In construction aid, sure. Yeah. Yeah, the the fu- formula funding stayed uh, static year over year, um, which was a win because the governor had uh, proposed taking $4 million back out of that. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the role that NILA plays in, in mobilizing the advocacy. Uh, the adv- Is it a day or a week? I can't remember. Well, it's it's every day, right? It's a 365 operation um, to, to really keep people engaged and realize that everyone has a role to play and a voice in this conversation. And the, the big uh, showing of that comes uh, this year. It's uh, Wednesday, February 28th, 2018. And uh, check around. Uh, there's a lot of buses that make their way to Albany if you want to bus it up. We get about 800 folks on average to come to Albany for that one day to make their voices heard. Um, and that is uh, tremendously impactful with the, the legislature and uh, the powers that be that are putting together the state budget and that timing is not accidental. Uh, we very carefully choose the, the date for Library Advocacy Day each year to find the sweet spot of as the budget negotiations are taking place so that we can have our maximum impact. Um, for, for the folks that, uh, for whatever reason, can't make it to Albany, I think there's a number of other opportunities. And Nyla, uh, that's, that's like I said earlier, that's the thing we hang our hat on. And we try to make that infrastructure as uh, easy and available as we possibly can. So nyla.org slash advocacy is your landing page uh, for all things advocacy. And there's a spot on that page to just sign up as a library advocate. And you can put in your name and address, and that gets you on our, our rolls. Uh, we really put out the big push just once a year. Uh, we don't want to inundate anyone with a, a bunch of spam. Um, but once a year, we'll put out a, a large email blast to our now 40,000-plus subscribers and push out that messaging. And what we the, the tagline I've been liking to use lately is give two clicks. So for two clicks, you can uh, hit the email, put in your, uh, your name and address, and send a pre-drafted letter into Albany. And it really is a numbers game. Um, amazingly enough, um, the general apathy of the, uh, the populace plays to our favor in that if uh, an elected office gets eight or 10 or 12 emails on an issue, boy, that that's, uh, snaps to attention because most people just aren't contacting them for any reason. And last legislative session, all told, from January to June, uh, library advocates around New York State sent uh, over 350,000 emails into Albany. So it really is uh, impactful and important. And it's a way that people think can just engage um, just all the time. And there's a, a number of other uh, tools that we make available on the NILA.org website. There's a whole section on advocacy tools that uh, provide uh, sample op-ed letters and ways that you can communicate um, with your community and your local elected officials to uh, to keep the, the conversation going about the, the value of libraries and their need for ongoing stable funding. And it's amazing work that you do with that, too, because you wouldn't me being an individual, it's kind of hard to know where you would start with that. But knowing that you already have something in place that helps with that advocacy, it, it makes a big difference. Nyla really does create opportunities for every individual to make an impact, whether it's an individual in your community or a trustee or a library staff member or a library director. Absolutely, there are opportunities. And we just, the library community needs to make sure that everybody in our, our circle have access to those opportunities. It makes sense. Well, thank you both for coming in and sharing all the information that you have and, and what all the wonderful things that Nyla does because 
I don't think you get the credit you deserve, and it's nice to get it out there so people in other states can, and quite frankly around the world, can hear about what Nyla is doing. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to hit them up with the torture test. I mean, the 032 list, which is the list of questions we ask every guest here at the Library Pros Podcast. And, of course, we have to give credit to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library, who gave us the name, the 032 list. And at this point, she's ducking her head and saying, stop mentioning me. So we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back with Tim and Jeremy, who we've been torturing for the last hour or so. Um, so we're back now, and we're ready to uh, ask them the uh, list of 032 questions. But first, we have to say that this list is inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. Visit their site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So... We know Jeremy doesn't work in a library, but we're going to make this work anyway. So first question, uh, what did you want to be when you were a child? Well, I think some folks may know in uh, in library land that um, as I was going through school and through college, um, my degree is in art education. I uh, was an aspiring art teacher and did a very short uh, tenure. I I had a one-year position uh, in the Carrow-Durham School District as a high school art teacher. And, uh, well, yeah, that's a good thing to, (laughs) a good experience to have had. Okay, Tim. Want me to do that one? Sure, you can do it, Tim. Sure. Um, so when I was a a kid, um, I didn't have libraries on my mind. Um, mm-hmm. I actually thought um, I was always interested in history and that kind of thing. So I actually thought either some kind of history t- teacher um, or potentially um, some kind of military career. That was the, that's what I had that was the, around the my thought head process. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so what was your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? Okay, so I grew up in a, a small town uh, in upstate New York called Scotia, uh, a little village, and the two oldest buildings in the village were both built in the early 1700s. 
Um, they're across the, the main street from one another, and one of them is the home of the Scotia branch of the Schenectady County Public Library. And when we would go, um, we learned about this legend um, that back in the 1700s, the two families who lives in those houses had a tunnel that was dug under the ground to connect the two so they could escape Indian attack because in the early 1700s, wow. that was a real thing, right? And I heard that story when I was probably six or seven. And every time we would go to the library, I would try to sneak away from <laughs> my parents and look around, go in the basement, go in there, see if I could find the tunnel. And pretty soon the, the librarian kind of was on to my game and she'd keep an eye on me and kept me. I never found the tunnel. Um, it's still an <laughs> urban legend in Scotia. But that's my memory of the library. Um, but the great news is my, you know, parents brought us there all the time. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can stop. Wow. That, that's a good one. So, Jeremy, what do you think? Uh, you know, the, the first memory that I have of visiting the library was the Rensselaerville Public Library, which is in Upper Hudson, uh -huh. um, which was uh, much smaller than it is now. It was just the red building back when I went. Um, but I clearly remember being, I think I was in, in high school, and I remember being uh, in, enamored with the fact that I could... I could order books through interlibrary loan and, and get stuff from from the other collections. I, I don't, do remember that. Okay, next question. And Tim, this is probably more for you. Okay. Um, when did you decide to work in a library? And if not, what was your first career path? Because many librarians choose librarianship as a second career. Librarianship, as, as an adult, my librarianship has always been my career path. I've You're never one percenters. Worked, never worked in uh, any other job. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a freshman in college, I went to Siena, which is a pretty close to the capital district. Um, I was looking for a job on campus, and I swear to God this is true. Um, I applied for a job at the library because I was sure it was going to be a better place to meet girls. <laughs> right? um, and because it's the library, they'd be smart girls. <laughs> So I applied for a job in, in the library, and because I, I lived close, um, I worked during the school year, but also worked full-time during the summers for, for three years. And um, I really got a chance to see how the librarians react or interacted with the collection, with the students, with the faculty, and really got jazzed about the idea of connecting people with information. <clears throat> talked to the professional librarians there at Siena, and my career was kind of mapped for me uh, at that point. Um, and just to, to close the loop, um, when I went to graduate school at the University of Buffalo, my first job was an um, assistantship in the Science and Engineering Library. And the um, first person I met at the Science and Engineering Library is my wife of 31 years. So I actually did meet a smart girl at the library. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who was your favorite fictional librarian? Uh, when I picked, actually, the, f the first thing I thought of was um, 
Mr. Bookman, the library detective from the Seinfeld episode. He's oh, that's not, a good one. He's not technically a librarian, but it's absolutely my favorite library character because it just played so well. Um, the the other one I really like is uh, Evie, the um, heroine in the Mummy saga. Um, that's coming she, up a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. she. Um, I, I I liked her um, attitude and her moxie. Um, I I thought that was pretty. Um, pretty well done. Um, that's the one that sticks in my head. Well, since since Tim got to pick two, I'm going to pick two also. And uh, the one that, just because of the all the stereotypes, um, the librarian from Monsters University. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. <laughs> um, and probably not any more uh, serious, but uh, in Nyla's um, online Facebook presence, we have a non-existent person person, um, which is uh, Nathan Rangana. Mm-hmm. We'll play on Rangana Nathan. Uh, so I'm sure that uh, in my mind, I have granted him an honorary MLS. So we're going <laughs> to make him a librarian. He's fictional. Sure, why not? Even in your own It works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> So what would you be doing if you weren't working in a library? Or working in the library field? Sure, yeah. You yeah. know, if I wasn't here, uh, I mean, uh, there's there's a good chance that I would still be in association work, but really just alternate reality. Um, I have uh, rubbing up on 10 years of construction experience in uh, residential construction, and there's a lot of days, particularly on that first really gorgeous 60-degree day in May, that I'm like, you know, being up on a roof really wouldn't be so bad today. But then I realized that, you know, my knees are going to give out. So this is probably a And then there's path. always January. And there's always January. So. Yeah. So for me... The um, lifer over there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it is actually hard for me to really imagine doing anything else because I really, truly love what I do. Um, every single day I feel good about making a difference in people's lives. Um, certainly when the alarm rings, there's some mornings when I don't want to get up in the morning. Sure. But um, I really do love what I do. If I wasn't doing this, um, I, I mentioned before I'm a history geek. Um, the the idea of being a um, docent tour guide park ranger at a place like Fort Ticonderoga or Saratoga Battlefield, that's pretty jazz to me. It's also about dressing up. Of course. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You got of the course. uniform, too. <laughs> okay, so what's your favorite <clears throat> section of the library? And originally we meant this... Fiction, nonfiction, nine forties, but it's libraries are transforming. It could be the makerspace. It could be, it could be the bathroom if you even want it to be. <laughs> well, for me, um, I absolutely would say the circulation desk is is always my favorite part of the library. That's the heart of the library. That's where stuff moves in and out. And at the end of the day, I mentioned it before. That's where people have. The staff has the opportunity to have people walk away with a smile on their face, walk out the door and say, I can't imagine my community without my library. The most important part of any library, no offense to, to the collection, the youth services space, they're all important. But that circulation desk on their way out the door, that's that chance to make a difference. Absolutely. 
And, you know, I, I would say that uh, I'm going to give two answers again, Chris. Uh, the, the local history collection that appears in every library has that, that. When I ask libraries and I visit them, I always ask, what's the unique item in your collection? It's a flavor. Nine times out of ten, it's like, oh, is we got this thing in the local history collection. So it's that, that that's really what ties the library to its local community and gives it something that, that's not going to appear anywhere else. Um, but in a, in a broader stroke, uh, I always seek out the children. Children's room, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 not just because my general tomfoolery, but uh, that that's where that's where the the longevity of of the library as an institution is born. You know, it's it's the people that are coming in with their parents and doing the lap sits and getting to understand that there's this place with this, uh, and when you're a little kid, boundless resources, uh, and and just uh, fanning the the uh, embers of curiosity, and uh, so it, that's that energy in that room. You just go in and, and suck it up. It's a great answer. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to the library? Um, I would actually add an office for every library director and a workspace, dedicated workspace for every library staff member. Um, many, many, many of our libraries don't have those things, um, including the, the library director doesn't have an office, doesn't have a space, doesn't have a desk. Um, the great uh, thing about our uh, librarians is they all make do uh, with a smile on their face. I would love to be able to do that. And each one of those workspaces would have a window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and I, don't, I don't know if it's such a space concern, but I'm going to uh, hook on to the budget piece. Um, and I think one, it just would be you know adequately funding the libraries and making sure that they had the resources that they needed. But the number one challenge um, when I uh, talk to any library outside of just we don't have enough money is the challenge that it seems to to face libraries of all sizes, and that's the the marketing and communication piece, the the finding the proper and most effective means to getting the word out to the community, letting people know what's available, letting them know what you know their tax dollars are supporting so that they, they can uh, engage with that. So it might be uh, you know, a marketing and, and outreach person for, for every library. So what do you love about your library? Well, my lo I got to give a shout out to my local library. It's the Bethlehem Public Library and uh, Jeff Kirkpatrick and the rest of his amazing staff in, in Bethlehem, New York. And, you know, uh, my library is uh, just, it, it's fantastic you know, for, for so many reasons. But I think the thing that um, sets Bethlehem out is that uh, the, they do very well with that outreach to the community. Um, and it, it bears itself out at the the ballot box their their ballots you know are passing by you know 85 and 90 percent when they go out and i guess it's just the sense that the community is so supportive and so embracive of that uh resource um and and embracing the the concept of uh, collectively sharing resources amongst the community as a public library system director i mentioned 29 public libraries <clears throat> I'm like a grandparent. I don't have the, the luxury of saying <laughs> I have a favorite library. Um, they're all my favorites. Uh, but what I do love about libraries is 
they make a difference every single day in every community. And that's really, really powerful messaging. Absolutely. Definitely. So what is the weirdest, not necessarily worst, because after the mics go off, people say, you know that question about the weirdest? Well, I got a story for you. <laughs> so, but, you know, so a lot of it's not for air. Um, so what's the weirdest thing that you've ever seen happen in your library? That's a hard one. Before I was at Upper Hudson, I was the assistant director and interim director at the Albany Public Library, downtown urban library. So there are a lot You've seen of, a lot of fun stuff. A lot of weird things. Um, I'm actually going to hark back to my graduate school days. Um, I was working in the undergraduate library, and I was on the Friday night shift. I was the most senior person there. There were about three of us. Um, and we closed at 10 o'clock, about quarter to 10, this frat boy comes in and says, I have to answer this question for a flat pledge or for a frat pledging thing. Um, and I need the answer. I have to have it back by midnight. And the question was, NFL record, 63-yard field goal kicked by Tom Dempsey back in the 70s. <laughs> Who held the ball? Oh. Right? Right? Come and I, on. And I was, I was a graduate student at that point, but I rolled up my sleeves and said, oh, yeah, we can find this. And I dug through a bunch of stuff. And right before 10 o'clock, I said, you know, we're not going to get it tonight, but I'm going to get this thing for you tomorrow. Give me, we didn't have email back then, so give me your phone number and I'll tell you. And what, what I ended up doing is learning an important lesson for a reference librarian. Sometimes the best way to answer a question is with the phone. So I called the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton and explained the whole thing. And the librarian at the other end said, I can't believe I've never heard that question. <laughs> um, the answer is Tom Skladany, in case anyone cares. Wow, he even remembers uh, the answer. I, I know. So, yeah. So, again... I could go into really, you know, gross, weird things that we all see in public life. That's a great story, though. That's but an incredible story. That one I didn't expect. That's really cool. Jeremy, you have anything on this? Uh, well, Sorry. I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know if there's anywhere to go for you. <laughs> That's a mic drop moment right there. That is. It yeah. is. Okay, so who's your favorite regular patron? I'll run with that one. Uh, and I, you know, I... I like Tim, I'm going to evade saying, you know, well, this person. And I, I'm, when I read regular per patron, I'm going to think of uh, Nyla member. And I'm going to uh, punt a little bit and paint a, a little bit of a broad brush. And to me, um, my favorite Nyla members are the ones who have embraced Nyla's mission and our purpose in such a way that not only do they, they give their time, which hundreds of them do, but they take the extra step and tell their professional colleagues about what it is that Nyla does and why they value it and why that next person should be involved and give their time. Those are, those are my absolute favorite people. And I would actually say my favorite regular patron today is the little two-and-a-half-year-old girl I saw upstairs in the children's room when we came in because she was with her mom. Her mom was reading to her. That's my favorite patron because her life's going to be changed because of that experience. 
Um, and again, congratulations to your library for changing that kid's life today. That's awesome. That's a great answer. Okay, last question. What are people without library cards missing out on? Loaded question, right? Again, I think sometimes we have some people who still have ideas of the public library as a place with books in it and four walls. And I think people that don't realize that in the 21st century, in the digital age, public libraries are so much more, but they are, among other things, the portal to the universe of information. There's not a, a bit of information that we can't get for you at a public library because we have access to that universe of information in a way we've never had it before. Mm -hmm. The books are important, the DVDs are important, the programs are important, but that connection to the universe of information, that's what people are missing out on if they don't realize what a modern public library can do for them. And I'll double down on that and, and say that the folks that, that don't have a card and don't visit the library um, are also missing out on the sense of community that you'll find inside the four walls of every library. That it's a group of members of the community that have come together um, to share the resources through, through their tax dollars and other funding mechanisms to, to provide these, these varied and flexible resources to allow each member of their community, regardless of their means, access so that they can pursue their own self-betterment in whatever that means in their own individual way. And that sense of community and commitment and sharing is uh, it's missing in, in a lot of other places in our communities today. And, and I think we could all benefit from just uh, spending some time in the library and sucking some of that up. Great answers, guys. Really great. Thank you so much for participating in, in our silly little list of questions. And, um, and thank you for coming in, making the trek all the way down from Albany. I know you're speaking tonight at, at uh, Suffolk Cooperative, um, but I appreciate you taking the time and, and coming down a little early just to make some time for me. No, absolutely. Thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. This is Thanks really for the opportunity. A great time. It. Thank you. So do you have any plugs? Nilo.org? That's, that's right. We're on uh, Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, Nyla on Twitter is uh, at Nyla1890. Um, I am also on uh, Twitter at NYLAXD. So, yeah, uh, follow us and uh, get on all that stuff. And uh, Nyla.org slash advocacy is the place where you go to sign up for uh, to be a library advocate and, and get updates about library advocacy in New York State uh, all throughout the year. And if you're in Albany and Rensselaer County, it's www.uhls.org. Get you to the catalog, um, all of our libraries. If you're not in Albany and Rensselaer Counties, if you're in New York State, absolutely go to your local public library. And if you're in the United States, go to your local public library. If you're in the world, <laughs> go to your local public library. It'll change your life. <laughs> well, how am I going to top that? That's great. <laughs> wow. So um, that's all the time we have for this edition. If you have any questions or comments uh, on our show, please go to the Contact Us section of our website, thelibrarypros.com. And we'll also include links and photos um, from this and all of our episodes on the site. And you can check us out on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. And please don't forget to uh, subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Google Play, Sketcher, where you can also leave a review, Android, and all the other great places you can get our podcast. So don't forget, as always, the opinions in, uh, stated by the library pros 
are that of Chris and Bob and not that of the Sachin Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, if Bob was actually here and not sounding like Batman, <laughs> and any other library. So we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions.